Isn't it fun on birthday Sunday? We get to pick on people and eat food. It's all good. We have we started birthday celebration on Friday for my only granddaughter. Her friends came, they spent the night, they played, they they did a lot of stuff. Yeah, it was fun. Did you guys have somebody over? Come hang no? Just had a birthday. Another another day. Chilled. Emily did the Mexican place and got, you know, the surprise whipped cream thing in the face. But then they give you dessert, so it's kind of a it's a nice trade off. So years ago, like twenty one, Serena's in the hospital, Emily's mom, and I have Daniel with me. He's a kid, our our son. And he is, you know, the, you know, pastor's kids go with you on sometimes when stuff happens. So he's he's going to the hospital with me. We heard Emily had been born, so we gotta we gotta go see. So he's, you know, Mister Sensitive, trained in you know pastoral ministry. And we get there. And there's a little squished up little Emily baby. <laughs> Day one, we walk in there, and Serena's, you know. There on the on the bed. This is at Prior Hospital. And Daniel goes over and says, "You're not looking so good." <laughs> good to see you. We're leaving now. Yeah. <laughs> Yay, Emily. <laughs> She's looking good now. Looking good now. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel would take all that back if he could. Gee. Thanks for that. All right, we are in a series where the the world that we know may be sort of changed as we uh, the perspective begins to unfold. There there is a tendency in uh, Christianity, and this this is just all all around to de-spiritualize, to de-supernaturalize. I'm making those some of those words up. So to strip the scriptures and, and God's reality of the supernatural quality, which is an interesting thing. In the first line of the first book, we got, in the beginning, God. And that speaks to me about a spiritual reality that exists beyond the physical. goes on to say he made all of the physical. So now we have two realms, don't we? A spiritual and a physical one, a material one and an immaterial one, or material in a different way. So we're dealing with something that, that is uh, unfamiliar because we live in a physical world, material world. But to rip out the supernatural aspects of the scriptures so that we can fit it into a material, temporal, experiential, uh, the ex- of our experience kind of worldview lacks sense. It just does not fit with what God was communicating, what he was doing, what he has done, what he is, the future is. So that's why we're dealing with this in, in this series. We want to reframe our thinking so that we include all of those aspects of who God is and what he is doing and what he intends to do. 
And then when we get back to the scriptures, we begin to look at it. We can see it from a whole new frame of reference. And then we go, oh, this really is a spiritual book with a spiritual power that has a spiritual future. And whenever I get hung up and it's just all about the material, I just have to remind myself, stop it. Just stop it and move on into the realm that the God of heaven has already designed. We begin the book in Genesis, you know, when we open our Bibles. We're going to wrap it up, and it says, that, you know, God did this. We get to the end, we get a new heaven and new earth. God's in charge. What's in the middle? Why does it all become material in the middle? Why is the church more of a social uh, meeting place and and engagement how how because this is a major thing i get from church growth people and pastors get this all the time and evaluated on this by the way so what are you doing for your community and what that means is are you planting flowers did you clean up around the school did and you remember jesus did a lot of that remember and, and god when he he sent the people out uh out of Egypt. He said, the main thing is, I need you to go to the community and plant flowers and pick up around the school. That's what I need you to do, because that will change the cotton-picking world. Not that those aren't nice. They're nice. What are we here for? God has a plan. He's included us in it graciously, and he has something so much greater, so much more important. And I hope churches around the world get a handle on that soon because this world needs it like yesterday and we got to get going on some supernatural things because it ain't just about the material world this is temporal it's passing it won't be here that long or we won't somebody's going so what's the future that's what we're going to talk about surprising supernatural return before jesus arrives Surprising, that's just a whole lot of words. Surprising supernatural return before Jesus arrives. So let's reframe. Father, thank you for allowing us to spend some time in your word. We do pray that our eyes be opened, that our hearts be prepared, and Lord, that we can hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so start with this. The blessed or blessed hope. From Titus 2, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's as Paul is writing this to his friend and fellow pastor. This is it. And we're waiting for this. And just as a a quick summary, that is the big deal. I I know there are all kinds of of positions theologically. There's premillennial positions. Post-millennial, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. There's all kinds of different ways of seeing the end times. Great. We can all choose to disagree and prove our points. The bottom line is, there's a blessed hope. He's coming back. That is what matters. Now, how he gets here, what we think, we're probably going to mess that up. You know he came once before, right? When Jesus came once before? Do you know how many people got that right? Exactly. That's how it's going to work the second time. 
there's a, there's a sense, there's an atmosphere, an environment that they could read. And, and there were people who were tuned into that. And when Jesus showed up the first time, they go, yeah, we knew he was coming. We were looking for him. We anticipated the Messiah's arrival. That's going to happen the second time. But you have to see what the framework is, what the atmosphere is. Don't come up with, oh, he's coming back in 2024, June 5th, because he won't. Because you said that, he won't. He knows when he's, you know, the Father knows when he's coming. The rest of us, we don't. Don't buy the books that people sell, just don't. Because they don't know. There's a blessed hope he's coming back. He is coming back. But here's what you need to know. There's some things that are going to happen. So let me give you a little bit of that so you can, you can kind of put this in a framework. And, um, and you'll see some things happen. And these are going to be a little different, I think, than most of, if you've read those other books or, or spent some time on this topic, maybe a little different than what you've seen or heard before. So from Luke 17... The Lord Jesus is talking about return, his return. In the days of Noah, so he refers to this, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. They're just doing what they do. They're just normal living. Up to that moment. So what's he telling us? There's going to be people just normally going through life. And then he shows up. That's what's going to happen. It's going to be like that in that day when he returns. So how do you anticipate that? He gives us some more. So usually when we talk about the days of Noah. And we're looking at, well, people were... Marrying, drinking, eating. Well, they were drinking too much. They were carrying on, so the flood came. But Genesis 6 gives us a different picture of that as he leads into, as the report is given to us, uh, leading into the flood and what happens. So there is a physical reality of people just being corrupted. There's a supernatural element that is also there, and we need to see that as well. So again, we need to put the supernatural back in the Bible, where it always has been, but understand that God is up to something that is, it is wildly beyond our imaginations. This, this takes us to that place. So let me go through uh, more about the days of Noah from six, Genesis 6, 1 through 8. The people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. The sons of God are called Elohim. These are the B'nai Elohim is the Hebrew for translated sons of God, but that has to do with these spiritual beings existing in the spiritual world, the heavenly realm. And they have rebelled against God. So we've got a, a rebellion in, in chapter 3 when the serpent is in the tree and tempts Adam and Eve and things start falling apart. This is a second rebellion. This rebellion includes supernatural beings who are now engaged with physical human being women out of which 
we get a problem. They saw the women, and the Lord said, um, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time. They're just mortal flesh. So I'm going to give them another 120 years. I'm taking them out. He didn't say it that way. In those days, and for some time after, giant Nephilim lived on the earth. In those days, so this kind of uh, crazy supernatural spiritual beings who have now taken on human form and are having intercourse with women. So that's what's happening for this. Sometime after giant Nephilim lived on the earth, for whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. So it's before the flood, there's some after. But these are the, when we look at the different gods or these half demigods and all of, we hear it in mythology, it's in cultures around the world, but those are leftover echoes of this account. Those are, those are the beings that came out of this. So we've got some of them to, to um, address. And when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they had to deal with the giants in the land, and that's part of where these guys are. That's where they, they come from. But God is looking at them and going, wait a minute, this rebellion has just taken the, the first world and the people who are there in a deeper, darker direction. And my spirit won't put up with it. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry that he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. So every rebellion, they are totally evil and it breaks God's heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, large animals, small animals that scurry on the ground, even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. So we've got eight verses to lay this out. We don't have a whole lot of extra information to help us with that. So that is typically explained away, skipped over, move on. That's weird. So let's not, let's not talk about these strange happenings. But it is a rebellion like Genesis 3 that affects the world we live in, and it affected uh, what Jesus did in the Gospels. What he was doing when he got here was to fix our problem from Genesis 3, Genesis 6, and Genesis 11. All of those, he, and the things he does and the things he says are un, all unfolding as he's carrying those out. But that just, so more about the days of Noah. We're talking about Jesus is coming back and he says, it's going to be like the days of Noah. What did we just have? We've got these half-breed, demigod, Elohim. God's called Elohim. God the Father is called Elohim, but the, you can put a small e on that, and there are many Elohim. They're uh, spirits non-physical, who have now made these half-breed humans, created a problem. So, as a result of that, God, we're told in some other places, uh, deals with them. So, let's pick it up in uh, 2 Peter 2, 4. Uh, angels chained in Tartarus. 
So Tartarus is, is this holding cell in hell. Uh, Sheol, this is the deep, dark place that God's going to put those who need it. And this happens to be the place prepared for these angels who rebelled. Second Peter 2 Peter 2.4 For if God did not spare the angels having sinned, but having cast them down to Tartarus in chains of gloomy darkness, delivered them being kept for judgment. So he's chained them up. We pick it up in 2 Peter 2.4. We also get it in Jude 6, just verse 6, because that's all there is. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. So these rebellious angels... Uh, these, these supernatural beings have now been chained up as a result of what they did that in, in this rebellion. So Jesus says, like it was in the days of Noah, so it will be when I come. So what kind of things could happen? Let's look at this. And, th and this just takes us into that a little, a little deeper. We're in Revelation chapter 9. And nine deals with a number, a number of these uh, areas. But the fifth trumpet uh, here, releasing the woes of the pit. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen to earth from the sky. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Whoa, who's down there in that pit? When he opened it, smoke poured out as though... From a huge furnace, and the sunlight and air turned dark from the smoke. Then locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. They were told not to harm the grass or plants or trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Let me talk about that just a second. There, there is a fascination with the Antichrist and the beast, and 666, and oh my gosh, I got the mark of the beast. Oh no, I got vaccinated. That must be the mark of the beast. You're going, what? But there is a fascination for the, on, the, on the side of evil. Those are just warnings. If we're walking with God, it's not an issue. If we have the seal of God, all that other, not an issue. If we are looking forward to the blessed hope, all this other is not an issue. So why do we get so caught up in and arguing about all the evil and what the evil one can do? You ever notice that among believers? It's a big topic. So, so this, this is the thing. I'm going to turn these guys loose from the pit. I'm going to release them. This is before Jesus takes over. You realize this is revelation leading up to the time. But only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads are going to experience this. Just like in the Passover, the blood of the lamb around the door frame and the angel of death comes by doesn't affect them, right? Same thing. Got the seal of God on your foreheads. So what would be important? Maybe having the seal of God. Maybe that is the big thing. Maybe just walking with the Lord is the main thing. And if these other things are going on, 
So be it. God is at work. He's bringing about his judgment. He's correcting all the things that have been wrong that we prayed about. Lord, would you just fix it? He's fixing it. The stuff you see unfolding around you around the world today, he's fixing it. You want to whine? Take it up with him because he's fixing it. So just hang on. He ain't done yet. Seal of God on their foreheads. They were told, these critters that came out, they were told not to kill them but to torture them, these people without the seal of God. Uh, torture them for five months with pain like the pain of a scorpion sting. In those days, people will seek death but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Goes on and explains what these things look like. And in verse 11, their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, the destroyer. Huh. There's, there's a little tie-in. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet. Heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. Then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year. See, the Lord does know when all this is going to happen. They were turned loose to kill one-third of all the people on the earth. I heard the size of their army, which was 200 million mounted troops. In my vision, I saw the horses and the riders sitting on them. The riders were, wore armor that was fiery red and dark blue and yellow. The horses had heads like lions and fire and smoke and burning sulfur billowed from their mouths. One-third of all the people on earth were killed by these three plagues, by the fire and smoke and burning sulfur that came from the mouths of the horses. Their power was in their mouths and in their tails, and their tails had heads like snakes with the power to injure people. But, verse 20, the people who did not die in these plagues still, still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. They did not repent. Even with all of that, it was an opportunity for them. So before, just like in the days of Noah, supernatural beings came and it corrupted humanity with what they offered, with demigods, with, with uh, instructors. There's more detail we can get into another time, but of, of the things that they brought to humanity to destroy humanity. And God has chained them up. And then they're released. So before Jesus comes, there's an opportunity for people to repent. They could say yes to God. They could say no to the evil, to the corruption. They're given an opportunity. So if they say yes to the corruption and they still worship demons, and when we're talking about the demons, we're dealing with the supernatural beings, a rebellion that took place, the first one in Genesis 3, the second one in Genesis 6 that we addressed, and this 
third one in Genesis 11, those rebellions led to demons and demigods and supernatural beings who play a part in our mythology, but those are just echoes of what has fallen, has taken place around the world. And God is saying, I'm going to give them a chance. I'm going to give them another chance. And he's using these evil beings, turning them loose on the world. And they just want to destroy humanity. They did from the get-go, and they are ready to do it again. So what's it going to be like? Well, I don't know, man. You know, somebody rushes building up. Look what Putin's doing. And, all my, and then China is getting powerful. And then with Afghanistan, obviously, this is it. You seen anything come out of the bottomless pit yet? Anything unchained like that? Just calm yourself down. Because it ain't time. He can come anytime he wants to, and he could turn all this loose because he knows the day, the time. He knows exactly. We don't. What we do know is there is a blessed hope. Jesus is coming back. And when he releases these things, he, they're not in charge. He's turning them loose on humanity because humanity needs to be addressed. Corrections need to be made. Justice needs to be served. So he's bringing that about. Justice will also be served to those supernatural beings. That's not done yet either. So that's all coming. There's more in the book of Revelation, by the way. That's just chapter 9. So there's more to get into. He's coming. So here's the issue. Who is God in your life? So Proverbs starts off in the first chapter, verse 7, by saying this. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. That's where it comes from. It comes from recognizing who He is and getting to know Him, understanding who He is, what He does, how He functions, how He relates to us, what He wants of His family. When we get to be part of His family by coming to know Him, so... We have all of that that we need to learn, and we have to gain that knowledge. It's, it's not just, well, there's a God, there's not a God. Well, I think there's a God. Well, this is how I think about my God. Wait, if you created your own God, then ain't, that ain't the one. The, the one we're talking about is the one who created all things, that one. He's different. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of these things. Without that, there's no basis to build all the others. And as Proverbs points out, fools despise wisdom and discipline. Fools despise really learning truth and then applying it in life and understanding the whole for their worldview, for the way they function in life, and they miss it. We get, we get to know the Lord. We get to stamp. We get the God saying, you are mine. And all this evil can go around us, and it, it isn't there for us. It is not there for us, because we belong to Him. So we're set apart. We can have true knowledge. We can seek for wisdom. It uh, includes discipline, which is practicing self-control and having uh, the initiative to get into God's truth, get into the Scriptures, learn more and more about who He is and what He's doing. And all of that comes, it plays a part in this. 
Who is God in your life? And it's a fear of the Lord, not the fear of COVID. It's not the fear of the economy. It's not the fear of cancer. It's just the fear of the Lord. Just the fear of the Lord. Getting to know him, reverencing him. Realizing he's the one who controls all this. So, to renew. God's good world was corrupted by heavenly and human beings. They are judged. That first world was judged. Those angelic beings involved in that were chained up. We have uh, the human beings were ground except for Noah and his family. They were judged. And there's more to come because there's a bigger judgment later. God dealt with the corruption of the first world and he will deal with it again. First world by flood, the second by fire. So it's coming. God's plan is to bring many people into the new heaven and new earth. That's where he's headed. He wants to get more and more people in his family. He wants to include as many as he can get. And he's using all kinds of methods to get people in. And he's speaking to our hearts. And he's showing us in creation and in the movements of nations and the movements of people. It's all around us. And his plan is to bring many people into the new heaven and new earth. So if you're worried about Afghanistan, I've probably told this a hundred times, so I'm telling it again. We started in prayer uh, meetings at, at Dallas Seminary when I first got there. And I met these guys, and they wanted to pray for the world. So we, we took our little brown bag lunches and met together in a guy's apartment, took a map of all the unreached countries and the world divided it up. Another guy, Paul, and I started praying for Afghanistan in 1979, September of 79. We're praying for Afghanistan. By December, the Russians roll into Afghanistan. They go, Paul, apparently our prayers are worthless because look what just happened. At the time we started praying, the reason we're praying, there were on the world, this, this is like what's happening in missions around the world, two missionaries in Afghanistan. Less than 1% believers in the country. We started praying in 79. Today, it's reported that Afghanistan has the second fastest growing church in the world. You've seen reports of martyred Christians as a result of the Muslim uh, extremists coming through. Where did they come from? They were invaded by Russia. And then we've been there for 20 years. What horrible things have just happened? God added people to his kingdom. He added thousands, possibly millions of Afghans to his family. He wants more people in the new heaven and new earth. Do you see that on CNN? Man, what a horrible, horrible thing has been happening in Afghanistan. God answered prayers from 1979, and people have come to know him. How many things in your life look like, man, that is upside down, backwards. That is not what I prayed for. Most of them, I would suspect. And God is bringing people to his family. He wants to fill the earth with people. So... There's a blessed hope. God is in charge. He's not wasting one thing, not one hurt, not one pain. 
Not one thing that looks backwards to us. We just need to get more on board with him. Fear the Lord. That's the beginning of true knowledge. And find out what he's doing. Allow him to do what he does. Because he's looking out for people. He wants them. Gave his son to make that possible. We are going to remember his son and his sacrifice. And uh, celebrate the Lord's table. Dwight is going to come around and hand out some elements. And we will take a moment to uh, worship our Lord and his sacrifice because he wants this family. You're going to get a clever little cup. It looks better this way. But on the bottom of that, there is an unleavened bread. So get that side up first. And we'll get this, get this going. So let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 11. This is Paul. As he says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread, drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. That's our blessed hope. He's coming. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That's, just, that's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread, drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. He is at work. There is a spiritual reality when you even look at that. How is it that a piece of bread and a cup of wine can make a difference? Because it's supernatural. Because God is watching. Why is it that people in Corinth, some were sick, some died? Why is that? How can how we handle something like this impact our health? Because today we are so clever, we have to go have CT scans and blood work, and that's how we find out. Because we've erased the spiritual and the supernatural from life. And God in heaven's shaking his head saying, really? How much more do I have to do to show you there's much, much more? This is a reminder that his death, Jesus' death, his body broken for you, really does make a difference. And how we handle this before the living God, which we are going to do right now, makes a difference. So if you would, peel back the side with the unleavened bread. Take that. 
And on that night when the Lord was betrayed, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. We thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice, for coming, for showing us the way, for living in such an amazing way to lay down examples, to show us what it means to live in a world uh, where we understand the spiritual and the material. Thank you for making a way for us, Lord, by sacrificing your body. Amen. On the other end, you will find fruit of the vine, representing the blood of Christ. Leviticus 11 lets us know that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The life is imparted into the blood. And we know with our science, there's so much more. But this is spiritual reality. And that spiritual reality is, this is life. And Jesus has died, spilled his blood on your behalf. His spilt blood covered your sins. It makes it possible for you to have life, to be stamped on your forehead as one of God's own. He made it possible by his sacrifice. Take and drink. Thank you for the blood Lord shed for us. We appreciate your Amazing love. Thank you for opening the door that we might enter in to the family of God. Oh, it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.